Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Kellen and Alex Show. This edition of the Kellen and Alex Show was recorded in November of 2019. The Amazon Senate had just concluded. Uh, we talk about the sex abuse scandals in the Catholic Church, the document that Pope Francis put out that possibly allows for divorced and remarried Catholics to receive Holy Communion, Amoris Laetitiae. We also talk about a little bit more about the homeschooling debate, education. This is a jam-packed podcast. So sit back and enjoy this edition of the Kellen and Alex Show. Kellen Lake, Alex Stanley, WFRSCC 88.3. I'm here, baby. Let's do it. Alex, how's, how's it going, man? Dude, it's going wonderful. It's going Glad wonderful, to be with you. bro. Let's freaking do it right now. Let's go. Kellen right. and Alex Show, number, I don't know, what is this, eight or nine no or something idea. like that? We've been doing it since the beginning of the semester. Beginning so. of the semester. Yeah, it's so, been a wild ride. Let's wrap up the Synod. That's right. What's going on with it? So the Synod wrapped up, uh, so I believe it was October 27th, the final document for the Amazon Synod came out, and uh, it left the door open. It encouraged the um, married priest, that married priest should be allowed in the Amazon, and uh, the Pope also said that he was going to have a special council that was going to address the idea of women uh, deacons. So that was going to come out of the council. Um, so everything that was kind of leading up to the council, right? Cardinal Mueller, uh, Cardinal um, uh, Burke, Ath- uh, Bishop Athanasia Schneider, all these people who raised the red flag and said, look, they're going to push for married clergy. They're going to push for women deacons. The final document confirmed that, that they, they pushed for it. And uh, yeah, that's that's what's come out of the Synod. We also have the revelation. So um, since last time, I don't think we discussed the uh, young man. Now now we know the, the person who threw the Pachamama <laughs> idols into the Tiber River. So for our listeners, um, this was about, let's see, two weeks, two weeks ago. During the Synod, while the Synod was going on, um, there was a person who uploaded a video to YouTube which showed him going into the church of Santa Maria in Traspontina, which is a church inside the Vatican where they had put the Pachamama idols, these idols of the Amazon that had been worshipped in the Vatican gardens. They took these idols out of the Amazon Synod, put them in this church, and put them in a side altar. And somebody uploaded a, U- a video to YouTube of them taking the idols and throwing the idols into the Tiber River. And uh, just recently, actually last, sorry, this week on Monday, the person revealed himself after two weeks of being like kind of anonymous unknown. His name is Alexander Shugael from Vienna, Austria. And he's a 26-year-old guy. He went to the Synod because he wanted to see like what's going on with the Synod. And, and you know, because he's, he's kind of a, a young Catholic layman in the know. He's like, this is, you know, all these different cardinals are speaking out against the Synod against this, um, you know, abuse in the church. So he goes to Rome and he goes and views the Synod. He sees all this mess going on. He's there with some of his friends. He goes back to Vienna and he finds out that the Pachamama idols have been put in a church in Santa Maria and Traspontina. He prays about it for a few days. Him and some friends fly back to Rome, go really early to the church of Santa Maria and Traspontina, take the idols out of the church, out of the Catholic church, the Amazon idols that were desecrating the church, throw them into the Tiber River. And uh, just recently he gave some interviews about like, why did he do this? And um, I mean, this was a huge event. Like the Amazon Synod was not getting international news until Alexander Shugale and his friends threw these idols into the river. And then the big headline, Washington Post, New York Times, 
like big news organizations were reporting on what? They were reporting not on the Senate itself. They were reporting on idols being thrown into the river by these, what they classified as Catholic, conservative, far right wing, wing traditionalists. Jeez. Right. You so that's been the, the end of the Senate has, yeah, the end of the Senate, the final document came out doing exactly what we were afraid of, married priest, women deacons. So we've been talking about for months. I did not think that this would pass at all. When they put it up, I'm like, oh, no, there's no way. And then look at now, I'm like, what? Many people are considering Pope Francis a heretic. And I mean, that's just a fact, right? Many right. people around the world, they're saying, has our Pope gone mad? Hmm. I mean, think about it, right? Yeah. Well, why would you allow this to happen in the Vatican Gardens? Yeah, it's really concerning. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been the main concern. Worship? I mean, women deacons is bad enough. That's but like, bad enough. But... Allowing pagan worship to happen in the Vatican Gardens and then putting the idols in the, the Church of Santa Maria in Traspontina, it, it's really concerning. Now, the Pope hasn't said any formal heresy on this thing, so he's not a formal heretic in this way. But it's it's definitely not a good a good thing for the Church to see idols being worshipped in the Vatican. Right now, it should be concerning. The Pope is not a heretic, and he's not you know he's still validly elected, and he is the Pope, and so we we are due obedience to him. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a concerning thing from Catholics, and I think right now a lot of Catholics are just confused. I think yeah. just generally people are confused. I think there's more confusion than anything. Yeah. yeah, it's because, you know, when the pastors of the church are not clear, right? I mean, we've seen this. This has kind of been the one of the hallmarks of the pontificate is there's these crazy things that come out. Like, so I don't know if you're familiar, right, with the Morse Laetitia, which is this document that the Pope put out. And there's this footnote in the document that allows for the possibility of people who are divorced and remarried to receive Holy Communion. The Pope put that out? Yes, in his encyclical. And it's it's a footnote, and it's, so it's not like a, okay, yes, we're going to allow divorced and remarried Catholics to receive communion. No, it's just kind of like an exception clause. It's really weirdly written. But it leaves open the possibility, and South American bishops have implemented this policy that divorced and remarried Catholics could possibly receive Holy Communion, which is obviously an abuse because they're living in a circumstance of adultery. So... The dubia cardinal, so a number of cardinals, came to Pope Francis and said, you need to clarify this. The Pope didn't give him any response, right? And what does that do for the faithful? But it leaves him kind of in this confusion. Um, likewise with the Abu Dhabi document. So the Pope signed a document with the Muslims in, uh, in Abu Dhabi, um, basically saying that we, that God wills the plurality of religions. So people can look this up. Our listeners can look this up. The Abu Dhabi document. So this document says that we are going to adopt a spirit of cooperation with the Muslims and furthermore, that God wills the plurality of religions, which if you take that in one sense, it's heresy, right? Because God doesn't will false religions, right? Like God doesn't will Islam, right? He doesn't think that's a valid form of worship, right? Because the valid form of worship is the church and the mass and the sacraments, right? So when the Pope says that, it, it produces, at least we can say, confusion. So Bishop Schneider wrote a, a, talked to Pope Francis in person and said, look, you're causing confusion. What do you mean? And the Pope said, well, I meant the permissive will of God, right? So God permits you to, you know, do your false religion or whatever. But that wasn't clear in the document. And what did that lead to? Confusion. Likewise, we see here at the Pachamama idols, the idol worship, it leads to a lot of confusion, like, 
what is the Pope saying by allowing, you know, Amazon pagan worship in the Vatican? And by the way, there's a number of Catholic reporters who have said, oh, well, these weren't really idols. These were, this was actually a representation of Mary and Elizabeth. That's what they, that's what we originally talked about. Yeah. Pope Francis himself called them Pachamama. <laughs> when, so when the, the, you know, the thieves, I, I guess they are thieves, they took the Pachamama idols out of the Santa Maria Traspontina, threw them into the Tiber River. Pope Francis apologized that the Pachamama, he called them Pachamama, were thrown into the river. So Pope Francis himself admitted that they represent, Pachamama literally means just Mother Earth in, I think, in Portuguese. So he even himself admit. Um, yeah, my gauntlet article on it's coming out on Monday. But The gauntlet, read it, guys. It's read the gauntlet. Thank Before you. we get back into that, Veritas Society, right next debate, Sunday. That's right. It's going to be Sunday, November 17th. The Veritas Society, we exist to promote intellectual culture at the great Franciscan University. When it's Superbowl. most needed, like now. That is a very, <laughs> very good point. It is most needed. Yeah, and, and uh, we encourage with our debates charitable discussion, like charitable debate, um, which is sorely lacking in a lot of our modern discussion. A lot of it's predicated on a I want to win and you want to lose type of <laughs> yeah. debate style. Yeah. But our debates are meant to be reasonable Catholics can disagree and charitable discussion. So, yeah, our next debate's coming up. Uh most likely, so this is kind of new news for you, um, we're going to be doing This House Believes That Clericalism is the Cause of the Crisis in the Church. Clarify. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, with our debates, so we do not define the terms. We provide the motion. So the presenters will get to provide the terms. What do they mean by clericalism? What do you mean by the crisis in the church? Um, so the Pope himself has used the the term clericalism. Cardinal Supic has used clericalism. All these other people have used clericalism as this kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, poster boy for like the crisis in the church is clericalism, which is the idea that like, um, yeah, the hierarchs use their position and their authority for their own benefit and their own gain rather than That's serving the people, right? So the they would say the crisis in the church is due to all these external signs of authority that are trying to prop up the clerics, the higher-ups in the church. That's the real cause of crisis. That's what they would say. Now, I would disagree in some ways because what they would do along with that is say the symbols of hierarchy, right? Kissing the ring of the Pope. That's a big one, right? So Pope Francis does not allow people to kiss his ring. Yeah, I saw that like, video. He like pulled his hand back. He pulled his hand back, yeah. You're not right. supposed to do that, right? And Paul VI, <laughs> Pope Paul VI, if you go back to the Second Vatican Council, he did not take the uh, papal tiara. So the tiara is this triple crown, which has the, which symbolizes the supreme temporal authority, spiritual authority, and pastoral authority of the Pope. So he is like the ultimate authority in the world, divinely uh, instituted, right? In this way, because he's you know, he's been, he's a successor of Peter and he's the vigor of Christ on earth. So he has this authority. So the popes always wore this papal tiara. Paul VI set that aside, right? And so they would see clericalism as all these external signs of their positions of authority to like subvert people under their, they would say clericalism was like subverting all the people under this false pretentiousness of hierarchical, you know, nature of I'm a cleric and you're not a cleric. Therefore I'm holy. You're not holy. So they so, would see Pope Francis and the rest would see that's the real problem is this kind of false so it's like, humility stuff. It's yeah. like misusing your authority? Yeah, misusing your clerical state. Hmm. So they would say that's the main problem in the church. 
Now, I somewhat agree with them, obviously. Yeah, that um, makes sense on some levels. Yes, yeah. because like the the abuse of hierarchy. I mean, we we, we see that over and over, over again. Over in every government. Now, everywhere. I don't agree with the idea that you need to remove all the external signs of hierarchy. So, like kissing a, a priest's hand. So back in the old right, like in the olden times, the you would kiss the hand of a priest. Why? Because the hand of the priest consecrates Christ in the Eucharist, right? And because of that, his hands are holy. His hands are the instruments by which we receive grace through the mass, through confession, through all these great sacraments. And so he does have a dignity of office. There's a dignity of office in the priesthood. Now there's also a further dignity of office in the bishop and the bishopric and the episcopacy. So when you kiss the ring, you are saying, I receive graces through your mediation. You're saying you are an instrument of grace for me. And without a bishop, right, we are, we are lost, right? As St. Ignatius of Antioch says, that the bishop is this groundwork of truth and of grace. And like he preserves the unity in a diocese and the Pope is the ultimate head of this. And so I think reclaiming the external signs of, um, of the clerical state of reclaiming this hierarchical mediation idea, reclaiming this external signs, kissing the ring, wearing the papal tiara. It's not a sign of clericalism. It's just a sign of mediation. It's a sign of hierarchy. It's like, just like, uh, you know, the president's like you call it, you know, it's, it's Mr. President. He has, he's commander in chief. He has these kind of like official roles. You, you, you live up to the role that you, you reside in, right? The president's just the leader of the United States in the executive office. The Pope is like the vicar of Christ on earth. We obviously, obviously should honor him, respect him and all this other stuff. So wearing the papal tiara, having people kiss your ring, you know, uh, showing you due honor is not a sign of clericalism. It's just a sign of mediation. Now, the false clericalism obviously is like using your your office as a prelate to buy property and go live a life of luxury and not serve the flock and go make deals with pagans that are harmful to the church. And that's definitely, that's clericalism, right? Um, but not not the just external signs of like kiss my ring and stuff. So what's the motion again? The, uh, so not completely decided, but oh, okay. <laughs> this house believes that clericalism is the cause of crisis in the church. That's complex. Yep. You're going to have a lot of opinions on that one. So, I mean, you could argue like, okay, well, it's not clericalism. What it really is, is, you know, I don't know, whatever, sexual revolution. There's been so much sexual debauchery that it's clouded the reason of men and uh, has perverted the church, right? We've had homosexuality and pedophilia in the clergy. And so it's not clericalism we should be fighting against. It should, we should be fighting a moral war, right? Where we should be reclaiming the truths of morality. Or you could say it's a, it's a crisis of faith and that the church has been unclear in her teaching. And so it really is, we're not proclaiming the truths anymore. Extra ecclesiam nulla salus. The Eucharist is the true body and blood of in uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. You know, that hasn't been proclaimed as much, you know, preaching against sexual immorality, right? And we need to reclaim the truths of the faith. It's not just clericalism. Um, but there is a, a good number of people who think clericalism is, is one of the main problems of today that's leading to all this crisis we see in the church. And to, to say the church isn't in crisis, I mean, the there's a lot of is always in crisis. <laughs> that's a good point. She's always marching, marching forward to salvation. But right. at the same time, I mean, just read the beginning of Revelation. Because the first, the beginning of Revelation is just 
Christ sending letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor saying, you guys have messed up, come back to the faith. Right. That's crazy, man. That's, that, that'll be, if you guys go with that topic, that'll be a really good topic. The, what was the last thing we talked about was homeschooling, right? Homeschooling, yeah, that was the last thing. So debate. how did that one go? Yeah, it went really, re- went really well. I was, I was very, very happy with how it went. Um, we had a lot of homeschoolers come, which was good. How many I mean, of you are homeschooled? <laughs> yeah, we asked how many of you are homeschooled. It was a good majority. It was probably 80% of the people there were homeschooled. Um, and I mean, they were coming to defend their position because the motion was this house believes that homeschooling is inferior to traditional schooling. So they were defending their schooling uh, against public school and Catholic school, I, I guess you could say. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was, it, I think it was well done. Um, there were a good number of speeches for homeschooling. Uh, but it's a, it's a difficult question for Catholics nowadays. It's like, how do you educate your kids in the secular world? Um, because also what's been really difficult is a lot of Catholic schools have adopted secularism. They've said, we're not going to retain our Catholic identity. We're going to allow for non-Catholics to enter into our schools. We're going to allow teachers to have kind of an ecumenical approach, which basically means not preaching the truths of the faith and like doing different types of things and um, providing all parts of the arguments, right? So you provide the atheist perspective and you provide the Muslim perspective and then you kind of provide the Catholic perspective. And once you do that, like, you know, who's going to, who's going to, you know, think that the Catholic perspective is exclusive, which it is, by the way, that the church is necessary for salvation and people should become Catholic, right? So like when you present all these different sides and we're ecumenical and stuff. So Catholic schools in general have become, a lot of them have become, you know, non-Catholic, just kind of a, a more preppy type secular school. Yep. Which is kind of what it is. Like the Catholic school is more expensive. They usually have better teachers, but they don't really teach too much of the faith. The people who enter as Catholics in there and the people who enter as Catholics in public school basically leave the faith at the same rate. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. there's not much of a difference. Right. So homeschooling has been seen by a lot of people as the alternative. It's the alternative to Catholic schooling. It's saying like, look, Catholic schooling doesn't teach people the faith, so I'll just send them to public school or I'll homeschool them, right? And then I know they'll keep the faith if I homeschool them, which is not actually a sure thing either to homeschooling and then they'll, they'll keep the faith. But they but, probably got a better shot than sending them to a cat. Well, well, I mean, that's the debate is like, do they have a better shot? And I yeah. mean, there's a lot of arguments to say, yeah, they do have a better shot of, of keeping the faith. Now, I, what I gave a speech for was, well, you gave a speech saying you can still keep the faith in public school. I gave a speech saying we need to reclaim our Catholic schools. Yeah. That we've allowed our Catholic schools to become so secular and to become so out there that they're just they're identical to public schools. And that's just a travesty. They should really be teaching the Catholic faith and teaching Catholic morals. And it's Walk just unfortunate that we the money, man. It's money, globalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could trace a lot of stuff to. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. Yeah, it's the money. Yeah, I, I mean, know. if you're if you're going to be so exclusive and say we're going to preach the faith and stuff, you might just lose that federal funding you're getting, or yeah. you might just make enough people mad that they won't send their their kids there. And so people weigh out the options. Out. They're like, oh, how can we get the best this and this and this, and then they compromise the faith because of it. That's exactly you know right. Yeah. It's it's like it's it's. It's all in the human. It's all in the human interest, right? It's not like, oh, 
we're going to do this all for Jesus Christ and teach the best that we can in the Catholic faith. The reason these schools are becoming secular is because they want more money and they're willing to teach different things, tweak it a little bit so they they can get more money and have a higher attendance. I mean, that's at least how I see it. Right. I mean, it's the same problem we're seeing with the Senate. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think a lot of the like liberal agenda that's getting pushed is just money games. I think the German NGOs are like supplying some money to the Vatican Bank. I could be wrong, but corruption. <laughs> but it man. seems it seems a lot of financial stuff that there's certain interests that want certain things, and they there's some money being thrown around, and you know if we allow married priests in the Amazon, whatever, as long as we get that money to balance out the, the Vatican Bank. So is it? Solely, I, don't know, I could be wrong. Is it solely in the Amazon? I don't think you're wrong, by the way. I think it does come down to money. I really do. A lot of it does. I, I'm convinced that it that it does. I mean, what else could it be? I'm telling you, man, we got to go back to the barter system. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> like St. Francis of Assisi, right? Yep. We say, uh, yeah, money, currency. We got to get rid of currency. Yeah, heard first at Franciscan effect. Get rid of currency. Uh, no, I mean it's it's one of those things we're, we're stuck in. Now there was a case to be made about usury. Now do you know what usury is? Usury, I don't know. Interest. Oh, interest. So. The church, well, back in Jewish days, so this is something that's that's fairly interesting. The idea of usury was a sin. So usury is the idea that you loan somebody, you make somebody a loan, and they have to pay interest on the loan. So meaning I give you $100, right? And I say, you know, let's say you borrow it for a year, and I say there's 5% interest over a year. So then you would owe me 105 after the end of it. I would be charging you usury. So usury is interest on loans. Now for us today, it's like our whole banking system and everything's based on usury. But like in the church and in, in, in uh, Jewish times in, in Israel, usury was a sin because you loan to people who need it so that they can build up themselves and then they'll pay you back the loan. Now, obviously you had to pay back the loan, but you wouldn't charge interest on the loan. Well, I mean, after the Vatican Bank was made, after the Vatican Council, after the Second Vatican Council, they got in the game of usury. They made investments. They made um, all these different types of things, right? And they lost a, money, a lot of money on investments. They started playing the usury games. And like recently, Peter's Pence, which was the, uh, it was the, f- the fund, it was basically, you know, like the bishop's annual appeal, appeal yeah. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like everyone's like, oh, donate to the bishop for his charity foundation or whatever. Yeah. Peter's Pence was basically like the Pope's annual universal appeal. 80% of that money was used on spec- oil speculation in Nigeria and buying apartments in London. What the heck? And 100% of it was supposed to be used on missionary activity and providing for the poor. Who Who is in charge of that? I don't know. Some Vatican <laughs> Roman Curia guy. What the heck? So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big scandal. It's, it's recent as well. And, you know, they still own this property in London. But it was put in towards investments, but it was all supposed to be put towards... Um. Yeah, towards charity. <laughs> so I mean, it, yeah, it's a weird situation, man. But you you see, they're trying to make it was a high risk, high reward investment in Nigeria. This oil speculation, a lot of it failed actually. Um, but they got in this usury game. They got in this interest game where you're trying to make investments, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But I don't know. Is it wrong for them to do that? You can you can make your own conclusions with it, but yeah, they invested in Nigerian oil and it kind of failed on them. And they also have like this huge apartment in London. You can go look it up. 
Yeah, the Vatican Bank. Like, should the church be involved in investments around the world to, you know, even to increase their money and to allow for more of it, perhaps? I wonder if people see that or people are angry. I don't know what you think about this, but I wonder if people are angry that the church is spending, that we're giving a lot of money to the church anyways, in, in the sense that they're using all this money for different things. Uh, okay, so yeah, we donate to charity and stuff, but... I wonder if people just, because they're afraid that we're going to misuse money, like we have been, like you said, with the apartments in London or whatever, and oil fields in Nigeria or whatever. I wonder if people are like, I don't want to give money anymore to the church. Yeah, that's the difficulty. Well, I mean, I mean, it's reasonable. Like, okay, look, we have, we have what the collection at every mass, right? For the upbringing of the church and for funds to help the church. But. I mean, it's it's hard because it's Let like, me add to that. Think about how much money of that collection basket is going to pay off sex abuse cases. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Like take a second, right? Right? I mean, that money going to Okay, let's let's take the four biggest ones. DC, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Diego. Those are the top four for sex abuse payments. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. Los Angeles and Hundred, San Diego, too? Los Angeles and Man, San Diego. That Cal- tells you how, like, so why are those Southern wild, California, bro. It's all those wild wildfires in California <laughs> right now, I'm telling you. Southern Cal- Yeah, I mean, it's judgment from God, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Southern California, uh, we got hit really bad, right? Los Angeles and San Diego. With- the, the fires up north were, unfortunately, they weren't near me, but they were more along. A lot of fires are on the coast, which is weird. That is weird. Anyways, what were you it gets saying? gets dry. Yeah, yeah, it does get dry. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You're putting all that money into the baskets, and what are they getting, going to be used for? Sex abuse settlements in Chicago, D.C., Los Angeles, San Diego. I mean, Wheeling, right? Bishop Bransfield, he's being removed from his post, really? I believe. Yeah, yeah, and Wheeling, yeah. Did he, he was with, Wheeling Charleston, I think. Did he uh, sexually together. abuse somebody? Do we know? No, that? he covered up. I think he covered up for Everybody's covering up Actually, stuff. wait a second. That's he might have, frustra- yeah. That's, I believe, more, that's more frustrating than anything. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's obviously not. Well, you you could say we actually discussed that last night. We had our seminar on the sex abuse crisis. Yeah, I, I yeah I saw our that apologetics one. one. Yeah. So we discussed also the changes in canon law from 1918 to 1983. So I don't know if you know this, but in 1918, if a priest was caught in adultery, in fornication, in homosexuality, in pedophilia or bestiality, he was to be publicly like brought out. And he and has to confess, right? To he everybody? had to confess, yeah. and he had to, and he was to be laicized. He was to yeah. be removed from the clerical state, and then he was to be handed over to the secular government for punishment. Right? Because most of the time, with any of those crimes—adultery, bestiality, pedophilia, any of that stuff—you you have to face the legal courts. And so, the 1918 Code of Canon Law said, "You commit those things, you're done, bro. Yeah, you're done. It was, you're out in the boy, public square. The church was and the church back is gonna, then. yeah, the church is gonna literally just strip you of your clerical state and give you over to the secular arm." Now, the 83 Code of Canon Law. So we're talking 1918 and 1983? 1918 and 1983, Not right? Not 1918 so. to 1983. These are two different Codes of Canon Law published oh, on two different dates. Got it, okay. So 1918 Code of Canon Law was in effect until 1983 when they made the new got Code it. of Canon Law. Okay. So the new Code of Canon Law in 1983 changed that to where if you committed one of those sexual sins as a priest, you could be... Go to confession and be sent for like psychological reevaluation and like be sent to some psychological facility. And then if the bishop thought, oh, well, he's better now, you could be reassigned to a new parish. I mean, what do you think? Which one's better? (laughs) 
I mean, if we implement 1918 again, that might be a little harsh. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. Okay, well, let's go through the sins. Adultery, mm-hmm. fornication, yep. homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality. What's bestiality? Uh, like just having sex with like horses and stuff. Oh, okay. Right. Like with animals. Right. Okay. <clears throat> if a priest commits any of those sins, should he still retain his status as clergy? Any of those. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality. I mean, I don't think so because no. it goes against everything no. he stands for. Yeah. yeah. So your whole reputation is done. You're done and yeah. and you've committed a sin that's that's irreparable in its effects as you as an authority in the church, right? Because you've you've done something so heinous. Right? I mean, you you accidentally said a cuss word in a homily, right? That's <laughs> that's fine. You know, you shouldn't be publicly defrocked for that. You shouldn't be like brought to the public square or given to the secular arm. <laughs> Now, when you com- commit pedophilia or homosexuality and it gets found out, like you, you shouldn't be up at the pulpit the next weekend. You shouldn't be saying mass the next weekend. Now, Agreed. the 83, the 18, 1918 Code of Canon Law, you're done. You're done. You find it out, you're done. You're going to be defrocked. It's it. There's no like loophole in there. Now, 83 Canon came out and, and they said, okay, look, 1918 Code of Canon Law, too harsh. Right? Too harsh. We need to give these guys a second chance. Now, what ended up happening is bishops, instead of, you know, coming out and saying, well, this priest was caught, you know, uh, sexually abusing, possibly sexually abusing a minor. I'm going to, you know, go to confession. I'm going to send you off to the middle of nowhere for psychological retraining, which is a bunch of, that's a load of crap, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. But you go off and you take all these pills and stuff that make you feel good. And then you come back after a year and you get sent to a new parish. And the bishops are the ones who get to decide these things, and they don't have to report it to the Vatican. They don't have to follow the 1918 Code of Canon Law, which is like, yeah, bring them to the public square, send them to court. They're done. They're no longer priests. And I think a lot of that, that that change in canon law, led to a lot of those abuses, where it said the bishops get to decide how they want to treat their priests. And the bishops say, well, look, I don't want to cause a scandal. You know, if this priest is abusing a kid, you know, I don't want him to go to court and me have to pay settlement causes and all this type of stuff. Let's just send him off to psychological retraining and maybe he'll get over it. Now, there's another change as well. So the 1918 Code of Canon Law, if a seminarian had any homosexual tendencies at all, he's done. He's no longer a right, seminarian. Right. If, he was, if he was pursuing the seminary or he was already in seminary and he, had, and he admitted of homosexual tendencies, he's done. He can't be a seminarian. The 83 Code of Canon Law allows for a time of maturity to where you can mature past like all these homosexual tendencies. And uh, so it's like a, a time of rehabilitation almost. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you at younger, you had homosexual tendencies, but like now you're growing past them. Hmm. Right. And so now you can, uh, you know, <laughs> we're going to give you a little bit of time. Right. And now you can enter seminary because. You've grown out of your homosexual tendencies. You've matured, and now you want to be celibate. Well, so that left the possibility for homosexuals to enter into the seminaries. Yeah, Oof, that's rough. It's almost like everything's a mind game. I don't know. These- well, it was just a loosening of law. Yeah. So I mean, these little loosenings of law give justification for bishops to allow abuses, right? Allowing homosexual men to enter the seminaries. I mean, we know like some seminaries had outright homosexual cultures. St. John's, I believe it was St. John's Seminary in Chicago. I had to be shut down because it was, or maybe it was St. Joseph's Seminary. 
they literally had to be shut down because of the homosexual culture there. That some is, some things I cannot describe on air. That's brutal. That went on there. Yeah, I mean because they had this whole culture there. Now, obviously, this wasn't every seminary, but like allowing homosexuals to possibly enter into the seminary, and this is something that's been pretty well documented that the homosexuality problem in the clergy and the sex abuse problem in the clergy is the same problem. They're just kind of like two outlets of that, that homosexuality is, is, is associated with pedophilia, um, to a higher degree. Um, and they need to be addressed in the church. Like if we're going to move forward, um, well, think about how the homosexual yeah. current in the church and Archbishop Vigano talked about it in his testimony when he said the culture of secrecy and cover up has to be revealed. And he said there's a homosexual current within the church that needs to be completely and explicitly rejected among the clergy. Jeez. And then you have people like Father James Martin who's going around saying, you know, homosexuality is great. You know, LGBT, we should be welcoming and all this type of stuff. And it's like we have all these problems already within the church and we have a priest advocating for these things. How can – you know, it's it's disgusting. It's like, how can you have the very people that distribute Christ in the Eucharist? saying we should promote these things. It, it's not just, it's not just bad. It's, it's, it's a misinterpretation of, of law. Yeah. It's them not knowing what the heck they're doing. How can a priest say something like that? Okay. You've gone through what, what do they go through? 10 years of schooling, seminary? Yep. I don't know what other kind of schooling they do but and then you say that it's like why did you go through that many years if you could see yourself if if you were to start first day in seminary and you knew in 10 years you would be doing these things would you go through seminary think about it a lot of them probably said would probably would say yeah i would and probably a lot would say no i probably wouldn't if i knew i was going to change this way advocating lgbt community stuff like what that's your the, that's your ministry is that's that? the lgbtq what's the q at the end of the <laughs> i don't know i have dude. no idea they invent new sexuality identities like every day hey siri how many genders are there <laughs> <laughs> yeah my mom sent me a meme the other day that was like it was a little a little boy like checking in his pants like oh that's how you figure out you know what gender you are i was like Oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks for sending me this. No, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of craziness. And the fact that we have clergy who are, yeah, I mean, my own, yeah, bishop in San Diego, uh, McElroy. Yeah, he, there was a priest in San Diego who was an open homosexual and who was going to marry his priest, his other, his male lover. Oh. And the bishop wrote a letter in support of him. Oh, my gosh. Can we just come to the conclusion that the second ending, the second coming is coming fast? <laughs> well, I mean, in times of great crisis, obviously, look, I mean, Christ is still in control. Right. He's in control of his the church. The church has been through, well, I don't know if it's... church has been through... It's been through It's stuff. been through worse times. Yeah. I, you know, there's, there's some people who are saying, oh, this is the worst time in the church. I don't know, man. There's been worse times. <clears throat> I mean, you look back at like... Athanasius Paul the third with like all the pope or the bishops. Well, the Arian the crisis, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was big. I mean, the churches went through really bad times. You look at the 1500s. Paul the third, mm -hmm. right? He had a mistress and had four children. <laughs> Alessandro Farnese. That was the Alessandro uh, Farnese. That's his real name, Paul the third. He had a grandson named Alessandro Farnese as well. He owned all this property. You know, nepotism at yeah. its finest. <laughs> Julius the third, the successor of Paul the third in the 1500s. You guys can look this up. 
Inicenzo de um, uh, Vicenze, I think it was from Ven- uh, Venice. Yeah, he he had a young boy lover, Julius the Third, Pope Julius the Third. You guys can look him up. What the heck? Shared a bed with him. Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been some pretty been bad some times in stuff. the church. <laughs> now, obviously, our our faith does not rest on the sanctity of the hierarchy. Now, it it rests on Christ and on the deposit of faith. And the magisterium of the church, which preserves the deposit of faith. Now, obviously, it's of great concern to us as lay people when the clergy are not doing their job. Because as Christ says, right, um, they sit on Moses' seat, therefore listen to whatever they say to you, right? So the Pharisees and Sadducees sit on Moses' seat. So even in Jesus' time, he recognized the necessity of authority for religion. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees sit on Moses' seat, and so you are to obey what they say, but not do as they do. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees were utterly corrupt. So Jesus has appointed these hierarchs who are above us, Pope Francis and the, the, the clergy and the bishops. And we are not to be their judges or their arbiters. That's up to Christ, right? And as St. Paul says in his letter to Timothy, they're going to receive a particular judgment that includes how they ministered to the church. How did they teach, sanctify, and govern the church? Did they do it properly? And that's up to Christ because Christ rules the church. And in fact, according to the saints, we receive the bishops that we deserve. And so if we are not living lives of prayer and we, if we are being corrupt in our very lives, we're going to get bishops that are going to do the same. So you're saying that everything that's happening now is because we deserve that? Yes, that could be a big part of it. And I think, that, I think that's the proper response to take is that we see crisis in the church. It starts with me because I'm the one who's in most crisis, right? Right, right. And it's my salvation that really ma- that I have to be the steward of is my salvation. And... Um, yeah, according to the saints, we get the bishops, we get the the clergy that we deserve. And so if we were living a life of more prayer, if we were praying the rosary every day and really taking to root the sacraments and living a life of sanctity, then that would be our role to play in, you know, continuing the, the coming of the kingdom of, of Christ, right? As we pray in the Our Father, thy kingdom come, um, thy kingdom is the church, according to Lumen Gentium. The... the the Catholic Church is the kingdom, right? The, the kingdom that Christ speaks about all the time in the Gospels and Matthew's Gospel and elsewhere. That's the Catholic Church with the Pope. As uh, Unum Sanctum says, uh, Boniface VIII, all human creatures must be subject to the Roman pontiff for salvation. And so this is the kingdom. And um, it's very unfortunate. And, and I was talking to a friend about this. That, like when the, when the clergy is corrupt, oftentimes, you know, the faithful get hurt, but what also gets hurt is the unbelievers because well that's the biggest thing one of the biggest things yeah because we're trying the, to convert people to catholicism right and if they mm-hmm. see this happening you know. they're not going to want to they're going to say why would i join a church where the pope doesn't even care about the exclusivity of the church the idea of you need to be a catholic to be saved with the Abu Dhabi document where the clergy are you know bound up in the sex abuse crisis in the united states they just say why would i join this corrupt organization right and all the news organizations cbs and abc and msnbc and all these guys they're all like oh yeah the church is you know sex abuse corrupt clergy and i mean and they're not wrong <laughs> there's a lot in it that there's is a lot in yeah. it that's that's well here's a here's another thing too is like i think that's this is why it's important for us to teach people about the catholic faith yeah i mean the the words about the catholic faith right mm. because we've gone through a lot and if we can teach them the good things about the Catholic faith, if you live it correctly, 
this is how your life will you'll you'll be living your life like in a good fruitful way growing yeah. in virtue maybe don't look at all the outside stuff that's going on yeah we have corruption but this is why we teach them about the faith yeah and how good it is I mean, that's what the devil wants is he wants those within the church to leave the church because of, yeah, they, the devil wants the people within the church to leave the church because of corrupt clergy and sins they see and their own sins. They, you know, the devil wants obviously the church themselves, the people within the church to sin and to leave the church, create schism, you know, disobedience to the Pope. That's what the devil wants. And then the devil also wants at the world to not see the inner holiness of the church because the church is holy. She is one holy Catholic and apostolic. She is one. She is united. She is universal Catholic. She is holy. The church is definitely holy and she's the means of holiness to the world. And she's apostolic. She goes all the way back to Christ. So the church in her essential nature is that. And so what does the devil want? He wants all the news about the church to be how corrupt she is and how much the Pope is just, uh, you know, covering up for all these people. And obviously those within the church need to call out the shepherds and, and, you know, work for reform of the church. But like the church is holy. We are the means of holiness of the world. We are the, we are the means of salvation, the, the, the church, the body of Christ, right? And we are meant to convert the nations. And so we're on the winning side. It's just, through these different times, we need to, the church always needs to be in, in, a, in a culture of reform. And um, obviously there are sins of our day and we have to speak out against them, but, you know, we have to be holy in our own lives as well. Um, and uh, yeah, with, with the synod and all this other stuff, it's, it's not helping, obviously, that globalism is being adopted by the, the higher ups in the church. Um, and we've talked about it before, like, what rep- what does globalism represent as a whole, even if you take it outside of the church, right? Donald Trump uh, speaking up against globalism, right? We reject the ideology of globalism, and we accept the heart of patriotism. Um, and rejecting this globalist notion of, like, when you look at China and uh, what they're doing, I mean, we-, we talked about the Hong Kong situation quite often, but there's also the Muslim minority um, in China that are being sent in these like concentration type camps, these internment camps in China. And, uh, that's, that's China for you, you know, and that's this globalist, yeah, this is globalist policies that we're going to globalize the world for materialism and, and, uh, destroy nationalities. We're going to destroy, um, fair trade. We're going to destroy nationalism in all types of forms. And, and Trump's really represented a return to that. Yeah, and maybe one thing we can talk about is like the impact that Trump has had as an image um, for for all aspects of like uh, coming back to an America first principle. I mean, that's been huge. There's been a lot of countries that have had a renewed conservative movement where it's, you know, Romania first or Greece first or these other type of countries saying we want to, you know, embrace the heart of nationalism, embrace the heart of patriotism. Obviously, it's gone too far in some areas because then you get into like some racist type stuff. But like embracing nationalism and say our politicians are going to work for the betterment of our own country, not just the betterment of the United States or the betterment of Europe. I think that's a great movement. And I think Catholics as well, like we have to be like a return to, well, we're Catholic and we believe what we believe, you know, like not be so wishy-washy that. Oh, well, we really we really don't believe that, you know, Christ is truly present in the Eucharist. It's just a symbol or the Pope isn't really the vicar of Christ. He's just kind of like the leader in the church. Right. Um, 
returning to an identity with Catholicism. I think a lot of people are finding that like we don't have as much identity anymore. Well, that was another thing too. Is I remember Trump really um, uh, reinstating or, or restating. You know, we are one country, one nation under God. Mm. You know, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And he said, in in America, we don't worship government; we worship God. Right. And think about all these other countries in the world that worship government. Their country is poor. They're they're and their economic means are terrible. And that might be, you know, it could be also other factors too. But a lot of the times. Other countries are in real trouble in many ways just because they worship their government. You know, it's not, it's like, it's almost, you know, like communists like China. Although now they're trying to have, you know, these protests and everything. But if you have God on your side, man, it really does show. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's otherworldly. I mean, I don't really know what to make of the whole synod thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, Obviously, there's always hope, but the church is going through a rough time, and we can't we can't deny that. You know, it's we we it's our duty to to acknowledge that it's going through a tough time. But like we say, we always come back to hope, man. Hope hope is the thing that keeps us going. Hope is one of the most vicious weapons against evil, because basically, hope just strikes down Satan. Because Satan doesn't want us to strive strive for anything. Right, he wants us to be dead. And hope is is literally just like a, a thorn in his side. I'm telling you, it's just something gives us always something. When you say there's always hope, it's it's an automatic like just a win. It's really a win. That's I mean, that's really all there is to it. Is it's like it's just the church is in trouble, but there's always hope. We've been through times like this. We don't want it to get worse, right? So we have to do whatever we can to help it get better. But it's hard, man. It's really hard. I mean, I mean, when you see things, you, it's the biggest thing I think is discouraging. It's discouragement. Seeing all these things happen. And, I mean, I feel so bad for people. I, I can't even imagine what it's like for people in a parish who've received the Eucharist from the priest and he's had a sexual scandal, like assault. Mm-hmm. Can you th- just We've think- had a friend. Just, yeah, one of our friends. Nate. Just think about that for a yeah. second. Uh, yeah. I mean, Nate. He had a. We have a buddy who. Yeah. Yeah. We have a buddy who. Um, yeah. He is his parish priest. One of his associate parish priests um, left the church and got married to his gay lover and left. And I've I've known a, a, a priest who's left the priesthood. Um, he actually went here to Steubenville back in the day. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he left the priesthood because, um, I don't know, he, you just, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you would leave, but yeah, it's affected priests a lot too. I think this is something that we don't realize as much as that this type of stuff affects priests a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm in contact with some young priests as well, who, um, uh, one of my priest friends in Denver, that I've done a podcast with Father Nick Larkins. Alex uh, Denley, the man from Denver. Denver's a great place, by the way. Denver is a great place. One of the best places in the world for skiing, man. I'm telling you. Oh, jeez, man. Denver don't even start skiing, don't even start talking I'm, I'm to me about skiing. I'm tempting you, bro. I'm tempting don't even, you. Don't even start talking. I'm back in Cali now. <laughs> There's the like most I'd have to wonderful go time of the year. <laughs> jeez, brother. Jeez. I was coming up that hill and it's like 30 degrees. I was like, oh, man, why terrible. why aren't I skiing? Why am I not? Why, why am I not in the mountain skiing right now? Uh, uh but but yeah, I mean it's 
um, to have to have all this stuff going on. And like, I mean, think about for a young priest, right? Having this image of like, uh, you know, the scandal is behind all this type of stuff. Um, it's really tough. Well, just, you know, new priests coming in, obviously they're grown men, right? But they're, but to see their kind of people that they've looked up to seeing this yeah. happen to them, it's like, oh, geez. Like, I what does that do? I like discourage them so much? I can't even imagine. It would, I would be in such pain if that happened in my parish. Right. I would be in such pain. I, I wouldn't, you know, it's a tough thing, but, you know, we're going to keep praying for it. Obviously the synod, to be honest, didn't go our way. Like we, we hope like what happened there was not, was not good. Um, but we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep working hard and that's all we can do. Right. Guys is keep praying, keep praying the rosary. It's a way to salvation. And we'll end with, uh, our father and hail Mary, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you here next week on Thursday from 6 to 8.